If you are joining us today and you didn't join us last week here or in person, you need to know that today's message is a continuation of last week's message. Um, The main reason I do that is out of consideration for my audience. I know some of you would love to sit in the pew or watching online for a, a sermon that would bring revival in the church for a good hour, but... In consideration of the audience, we broke up last week's message uh, so that we could uh, get this second part in and not be rushed to do that. I think um, also because this message is more of the application part of last week's message. We are in a series called Let Us, and we are thinking about how the, the scriptures that specifically say let us, and there are several within the New Testament that call the church to gather together and call the church to go and to do and to be a certain kind of people. So we're thinking of this in a collective spirit. We're thinking of this as a body, which I realize is unusual in in our current setup, where uh, at least here at Northside, we've been kind of doing this hybrid thing of, of being here and being online, and many churches are doing that. Uh, so we we uh, realize that it looks a little different, but the, the principle is still the same. That We are called not to be individual lone rangers plowing our way through, making it on our own, but rather we are in this together. We are designed to be better collectively than we are individually. As the wise man said, Solomon, a two are better than one. And we understand that's true in marriage. We certainly understand that's true within the body of Christ. Quick review of last uh, week's message. First, we started by saying that what God wants must be greater than what you want. that's, That's a key fundamental understanding to get when you're in Christ. We all have things that we want Uh, But we have to be willing to lower ourselves and yield our will to his will. That's important to understand. That's, of course, what Jesus did. We understand Luke chapter 22, verse 42, where he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, not my will, but yours be done. That example for us, I mean, that wasn't just the way he lived his life. And you think about all throughout Jesus' life, that was how he lived it. Remember when he was 12 in Luke chapter 2? If you want to turn there and verify, the preacher knows what he's talking about. He, he, he grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. But, but the, the verse preceding that tells us the story of Jesus at the temple. Mary and Joseph had misplaced Jesus, and their anxiety was high. When they did find him, Jesus said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Okay? Jesus understood, from at least from uh, this age forward, that his purpose was to be present and in relationship with the Father and to do the will of the Father. Jesus would say later in John, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Understand that, that Jesus thought of God's will 
like you and I think of food. Not sure how often you eat, but let's say three times a day. You get to that point where you say, I need to eat something. Well, at least that many times a day, Jesus got to the point where he said, I need to be doing my Father's will. So this prayer in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, should come as no surprise. But it is instructive to us that we understand that following Jesus is not merely a matter of sitting in a pew and coming to a place or watching online for an hour. Following Jesus means we take upon ourselves this very attitude. Philippians 2.5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And so we take upon his attitude, which is not my will, not what I want, Father, but what you want. Then secondly, we, we said that, the, that doing that means that there's a, a path that we've got to choose. And Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 7, we have to enter by the narrow gate. The way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Okay, This idea of yielding your, your will to, to the fathers is not a one-and-done decision. It's a way of walking, it, and it's a hard way sometimes. Because if you're constantly giving over your will to God's will, part of you is going to be constantly unhappy, constantly dissatisfied. Not joys, I'm not talking about that, but just it's going to be part of you that's unfulfilled. And we'll talk about that a little bit more today. And as we enter by the, the narrow gate, we understand that the way is hard. It's not always easy, but it absolutely is worth it, isn't it? That's what Jesus was saying. And see, many people will enter the wide gate that's easy to enter, Because it doesn't cost them very much. It's not hard. It allows them to just do what they want to do. Some people even try to pull Jesus into this wide path. I want to do what I want to do. And and you know what? Jesus, will you just bless me in that? But the narrow way is different. It is this constant attitude that says, you know what? This is what I want, but that, that doesn't matter. What matters is what he wants. That's the question of importance. Are you willing at any moment to give up your will in exchange for his will and to walk in that way, not just in one moment, but for a lifetime of moments? That is what Jesus would call the narrow gate. And when we do that, then that will lead us to life. It absolutely is worth it. And then finally, we said that we want to make sure That in all aspects of life, we seek to go to God's right and not our right. And to illustrate this, I ask you to point to your right. And I know several of you were here last week and you did see, is this a retread sermon? Didn't we do this all last week? But just for a moment, humor me, okay? Uh, Because to make this point, we went to Matthew chapter 25, this picture of of, of judgment day, the Son of Man comes in glory. All the angels around him will sit in his glory, his throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd, shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right. And to illustrate this point, I want you all to point to your right, because it just occurred to me this week that, that in this building in particular, uh, there's a lot of different rights, aren't there? 
I mean, even as you all point right, some people are pointing that way. Some people are pointing that way. Uh, Some people are kind of pointing that way. That's a good illustration when you talk about what do human beings think is right. There's a lot of different directions. But how we want to live is what God says is right. The way he points, the way he directs. Okay? So we listen to what he says. And on that day, we want to make sure we're going to his right, not our right. All right. So that was kind of the review. And, and we said basically it means wanting what God wants and choosing to go God's way. Now the final point is, is what we're going to talk about today. This idea that living right requires walking as Jesus walked. Walking in such a way that it, that it is as he desires. There is a... Uh, a portion of the Jewish scriptures called the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a collection of the rabbinic teachings. And they were written from about 200, uh, before Christ, 200 years before Christ, and, and the collection was amassed through the time of Christ. Anyway, in one of those passages, uh, there is this saying, and it's common among rabbis today. It's kind of a blessing, but also a challenge at the same time. And it, and it was these words, May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Now that sounds kind of strange until you understand a couple of things. Number one, in that world, uh, no sidewalks, no paved roads, okay? And so when you were following a rabbi, as disciples did, I mean, you, this was a common sight in Israel and, and, and the surrounding areas, you would see a rabbi, and then you see a group of men following that rabbi, and they would be following behind. Okay? And so as they walked, the rabbi, of course, his feet would kick up dust behind him. And after a day or several days of traveling and following the rabbi and him kicking up the dust behind him, uh, the front of their cloaks and garments and even the front part of their feet was usually covered in dust. Okay? Among other things, there were, it was just dirty. Okay? This is why foot washing was such an important custom in that time. Now, what they were saying here is, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, is this idea that we should follow Jesus so closely, or in, in their perspective, it was you follow your teacher so closely that you, you're literally covered in his dust. Then the neat thing was, in their tradition, Instead of like in our tradition where everybody sits down and the teacher stands up, in their tradition, uh, you would always have the teacher seated. Yeah, and I'm a chair, but you always have the teacher seated. And then you would have the students either sitting on the floor, but in some way they would be lower than the teacher. And so as the teacher was seated, they were almost looking at his feet. Maybe you've heard the phrase, I sat at the feet of this person. What that meant was I, I learned under him. So this idea of being covered in the dust of your rabbi is one. Walking so closely to your rabbi that his way of life covers you. There's very little difference as you, as you look at the, the groups that followed the rabbi that they could tell that they'd all been covered in his dust The second is that you sit so closely that you're continually feeding on his teaching and on his word. 
may we, although we're not Jewish, be covered in the dust of our rabbi. Turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. The New Testament Christian version of be covered in the dust of your rabbi. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. As we, and this idea of walking is a, a word that kind of is an umbrella term for how you live. What's your walk like? Uh, if any of the youth group, maybe Jeff used the phrase, does your walk match your talk? Okay? It's the idea that how you live Monday through Saturday match up with the type of person you present yourself in at a youth group devotional or teen camp or, or uh, in class. It's easy to talk it, but you have to walk it. And we understand that. Walking is how you live. It's how you live out your life. And the Apostle John says, May we abide in Christ so closely that how we walk matches how he walks. Big shoes to fill. Big sandals to fill, right? This is the call of those who follow Jesus. Now, if, if we're still in 1 John, I, I hope that you're there. Uh, let's look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. We're just going to go up half a chapter. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And that's for, hard for us to gather. That's hard for, for us to even imagine. Is we live in a world that is dark. We live in a world that's been dark from the beginning until God said, let there be light. And God is light, and there's light in the purest essence of light. There's absolutely no darkness in it at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Right? So first... We walk in a way that we are covered in the dust of the rabbi. The second is, we walk always in the light. I want to be careful here when I explain walking in the light, because it's pretty easy to go binary in this point, light, darkness, right? And you can almost get pharisaical. I mean, you can get like, I'm in the light, I'm in the dark, I'm in the light, and that's really not how life works. And if you read this passage in the wrong way, you can read it in a way that says, well, I must be perfect all the time. That's not what the passage says. Okay, in fact, John says, uh, if, if we go into verse 8, if we 
say we have no sin. In other words, if we say we've never walked in darkness, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, we confess that we've walked in darkness, he is faithful and just to forgive us our darkness, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay, this, this passage is not saying you must walk in light all the time. If you fail one time, you're in the darkness, you're going to hell, that's it. Because if that's true, in the sermon here, and I don't have very much hope for you, that's not what the passage says. If we walk in the light, the way I view it, and this is probably a poor illustration, but if I had to get out my iPhone and open up the Compass app, and, and I, I said, um, you know, which way is north? Well, and we've done that illustration before, and nobody knows which way north is. So, <laughs> but the compass, the compass always tells me which way is north. If I'm going this way, the compass still says, hey, you're, you're, you're going the wrong way. If I'm veering off one way or the other, the compass will always tell me which way is north. The compass will always tell me which way is north. If we walk in the light, okay? If I take my compass and I say, oh, I'm going the wrong way, so I, I turn, turn, turn until all of a sudden I'm going now north, okay? I'm aligning my walk with the compass. Does that make sense? In the same way, when we walk in the light, what we're doing is aligning ourselves to the light. It doesn't mean we don't mess up. It doesn't mean we won't stumble. It doesn't mean we won't uh, make mistakes. We all will do that. But remember, there's a difference between stepping in the light or in the darkness and walking in the darkness. The scripture is clear. May we walk in the light. May we align our steps toward the Lord and to, toward his light. Okay? So we walk first so that we're covered in the dust of the rabbi. That we walk as he walked. Which means walking in the light. Doing what is right. Now, there's a lot of scriptures. Uh, it's, it's tempting to spend the rest of the time just going through the list scriptures. There's a lot of them. But if we walk in the light, it just means simply very much, I'm agreeing with what this says. Many years ago, I was counseling a young man. And he was coming, it wasn't really counseling, he was coming to argue with me, I think. And he his problem was that we disagreed on an issue. The issue on which we disagreed was homosexuality. He said, my view was very narrow. He said, my view was not right. He said that Jesus wouldn't have that kind of view. I listened politely. I then asked. I said, if you would agree with me, he didn't have a Bible, I said, I'll give you a Bible, I took my Bible, I said, can we agree that this is true? He said, yeah, that makes sense. 
I, I had him turn to Romans chapter 1. I had him read a passage from Romans chapter 1. And specifically verse 26, for, for, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For, for women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and what not, what to do, what ought not to be done. He read that. I said, let's stop. I said, do you agree that that is right? That, that God's word is correct? And he sat and he squirmed. And finally he said, I don't think that's right. So we closed the Bible, and I said, well, we can have a nice discussion on it, but, but you understand that this is what the crux of the issue. This is the crux of it, is that I'm, I want to yield myself. I may not like it. I may not understand it. I may not, in my own feelings and, and fleshly desires, agree with it, but, but I am willing to yield to this as always, forevermore, 100% right. As I was preparing to tell that story, I was thinking about Romans chapter 1. And look what it says in the verses just above. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. This is verse 21. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That word darkened popped out to me in a way that it never had before. There's light and there's darkness, and there's a way of thinking that yields to the light, and there's a way of thinking that always seeks the darkness. In the gospel accounts, there's a scripture which describes, and it says, for light has come into the world, but this is the conclusion that men loved darkness rather than light. If we will agree that this is the light, that this defines what God says is good and right, then we must yield, be willing to yield ourselves to it. That's what walking in the light means. I hope you understand that's not a single-issue sermon. That's on everything. Okay. Am I willing to agree with what God says? Verse 32 goes on down here. I mean, Scripture is just beautiful. Though they know God's righteous decree that they, those who do such things deserve to die, they not, speaking spiritually here, they do not, not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Do you understand that living in the light, walking in the light means not only am I aligning myself to the compass and aligning my heart to the light, and my heart has its own darkness in it, okay? But it also means I don't approve of the darkness. 
I'm not okay with the darkness. I I, I don't go to a same-sex wedding because I don't celebrate and honor the darkness. I cannot. I cannot align myself with the darkness. I can't watch movies and Netflix shows that glorify the darkness. If, if you have people in your family that you're watching something on Netflix or Hulu, and they walk in and say, what is this? We shouldn't be watching this garbage. You should praise God because you have people who are seeking to pull you to the light. So walking in the light is, again, this idea Not that we're perfect, but then everything we seek to yield our heart toward the light. That means hard things. That means hard, hard things sometimes. Galatians chapter 5. Let's turn there. This is a bit of a list passage, but I think it is a good one. First, we walk covered in the dust. Second, We walk yielding always to the light. And third, we walk yielding to the Spirit. Now in Galatians chapter 5, there's there's two different lists, okay? John might call them the, the darkness and the light. But Paul refers to them as the flesh and the Spirit. Let's look at these together because it's an interesting list. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify to the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Remember the story that I told last week, the grandfather Cherokee Indian explaining to his younger grandson, also a Cherokee Indian, was describing this battle within him between two wolves, one evil, one good. Paul would describe it in this way, that there are, there are two spirits fighting within you, the Holy Spirit and your spirit, the desires of the flesh. And they're opposed to each other. So very often when you are yielding to the Spirit, you find yourself doing something that you do not naturally want to do. I said last week, kind of jokingly, but this, 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 you will hear people say, you know, I feel like the Spirit was just leading me to do something that I was pretty sure I already wanted to do anyway. That's not exactly how the Holy Spirit tends to work. He tends to tell you to do things that you don't want to do because he's against your flesh. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. We don't really have any trouble with that these days. Envy, 
drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now understand, it's not meant to be an exclusive list. Paul is just pointing out that there are things that even people sitting in pews and watching an online stream on Sunday morning, there are natural desires that you and I have that are ungodly. And if you, if you are a New Testament Christian, you have the Holy Spirit within you who's constantly saying, who's constantly battling against your flesh. And you get to choose, right? And he lists out several sins of the flesh. Now, the thing is, if you look at those sins, you might look at some of those sins and say, if I engaged in some of those, that might feel pretty good. There might be something tempting about that. Yeah, that's your, your flesh that desires to be fulfilled. But the Spirit, the Spirit wants a better way, doesn't he? Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of you, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul's, in the context of the letter, it's, you know, he's fighting against legalism and, and people who are basically Pharisees and Judaizers who are trying to work themselves into the church. And Paul here is making a, a brilliant argument. He's saying, listen, there's no list of rules that are going to keep you from desiring what your flesh wants to do. Some people believe that. Some people think you can just create a long enough list of rules that you can handle everything and, and, and just box people in. And that, that just doesn't work, does it? He says you have to, you can't, you cannot be led by the Spirit. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. He says, but if you want to, if you want to yield to what's right, you got to yield to the Spirit. And if you do, it will produce these things. Fruit of the Spirit. Now you have to choose which one you want. You have to choose which way you're going to go. You have to choose which way you're going to walk. Walk yielding to yourself, to your flesh, to what you want. You're going to walk yielding to the Spirit. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You see? And what that means is, that's it, back to, all the way back to that Luke twenty two forty two, Father, not what I will, but what you will. I crucify myself, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ living in me. The key to that, though, is a death, a death of yourself. And then he says, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step by the Spirit. May we then walk in a way that is right. Okay? Well, you do that, number one, be covered in the dust of your rabbi. 
Number two, align your heart and your walk toward the light. And number three, walk in a way that crucifies your flesh and yields to the Spirit. The grandson asked the grandfather about these two wolves battling within. And thoughtfully, he asked the question, which one will win? To which the grandfather, with the wisdom of the ages, says, it depends on the one you feed. The lesson is the same for us. You have two wolves within you battling to win. They are opposed to one another. Which one will win? The flesh? The darkness? Yes, if you feed it. Which one will win? The spirit? Who desires what's best for you and who desires for you to be eternally reunited with God? Yes, if you feed him. Think about that. Maybe that just told us that what we're doing this morning is more important than you realize. Why it's so important to, to gather either online or here in person is as a part of feeding the Spirit, part of walking in the Spirit. When we pray to God and sing to God and, and meet at the table. When we, even when we, in our giving, as Pat talked about this morning, we, we align ourselves with the Spirit when we worship, when we, when we crucify what we want in exchange for what God wants. We're feeding the Spirit. The question is, will you live right? Uh, It depends on which wolf you'll feed. I hope you'll continue to feed the Spirit. Spend time in His Word. Make worship a priority. Be with God's people in whatever way being looks like these days. Focus on what's good. Spend time in prayer. But feed the Spirit. Not your Spirit, but the Holy Spirit. Let him align your heart aright. This morning, I have a question for you as we end this message. Are you in the light or in the darkness? Well, I'm here at church. What should that tell you? That's not what I asked you. I said, are you in the light or are you in the darkness? The only true light is Jesus the Christ. If you're not in Christ, no matter how good of a person you may think you are, you fall woefully short of God's pure light. And the only way to the Father is through Jesus the Christ. And the only way into Christ is by believing in Him and putting Him on in the waters of baptism. If you haven't done that, you're not in the light. If you need to do that this morning, as we sing this song, you can go to the back, talk with one of our shepherds. We'll get you uh, pointed in the right direction. We can make that happen this morning. If you're watching online and you're not in the light, if you haven't been immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you haven't started that walk by the Spirit, uh, just put something there in the comments or send us an email and we will get you pointed in the right direction. We will align you to the light. If you need to do that this morning... Don't delay any further. We do not know how much time we have left. And maybe you've been claiming to walk in the light, but there's parts of you that have been living in darkness. And you need to repent, and you need to confess that sin, and you need to ask a shepherd to pray with you and for you. Maybe ask the congregation to pray with you and for you. If you have that kind of need, if you've been 
walking in darkness and you want to turn, the biblical word for that is to repent. If you need to repent this morning uh, during the song, head to the back, find a shepherd, and they will help you and pray with you and for you and, and get you pointed in the right direction. Whatever your need is this morning, won't you come? As together we stand and sing.